If Maury supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Blah blah blah. The blah blah blah. Sending out good vibes. Well, it was really important for me to show those quotes, both for my own peace of mind to say that you're right, I put the best stuff forward, but I think also for, for the readers, it's, it's important to see that much credibility from people like Max Planck and Erwin Schrodinger. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Mark Gober a little bit later, researcher and author. Uh, about his book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. Upside Down Thinking. It's a fun chat. Good chat. Good one. We rather enjoyed it. And, of course, we're back in our new studio here. It's a little warmer this week. A new tablecloth. we got everybody's favorite host, Graham. I'm ashamed of my Trump sticker Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? What are you talking about? I don't, I don't have a Trump sticker. I know you can. That might have been you and the Bill the Shill lining that up or something. So don't say anything like that. I snuck a Trump sticker on your laptop. Well, then it's not my sticker, then it's your sticker, isn't so there's it? There's a picture of the, out there of you that would. <clears throat> yeah, it's, yeah. A picture's worth a thousand words. So exactly. Good luck talking yourself out of that corner. Did you notice right away, or was there any incidents? No, I, I noticed right away. Yeah, Two. I could tell by the your state of being that you'd fucking fucking with me. In some some sense, <clears throat> some yeah. way or another. Yeah. So this is a good chat. I love these chats where uh, the skeptic turns into sort of a believing researcher, you know, looking at how consciousness is not generated from the brain. And I saw her face. <laughs> it was good. It was awesome. Oh, I'm a believer. Yeah, it's a great one. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Fun chat. Mark was a great guy, too. Yeah. He's nice with the guests. sends a nice little email after saying thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah. Real good vibe from the guys. Great chat. You guys should enjoy it. What do you got for the intro, buddy? I could play those voicemails at some point, man. You want to see? So I went. Do you want to hear about my dentist, also, didn't, dentist appointment? I or? didn't delete the speak pipe yet. I got to do that. What do you want? You want email synchronicities? You want to talk about the dentist? I want to hear about your dentist okay. first and foremost. Okay. So, well, later on tonight, actually, uh, we're going to also be... like if the motherfucking come on Chromecast would work. You don't have to just start swearing like that for nothing. Easy, bud. Later on, don't we're going to be. Me. Later on, we're going to be interviewing uh, Dr. David Getoff, and it's about abundant health in a toxic world. Not and he's got a whole chapter. Though, it's a totally now, different I know. Episode. I'm just saying, okay. like in this, he's good. There's a chapter in there on you know mercury fillings and all that as well. So today, I went to this dentist, Maxwell. I'll put a link in the show notes actually, just in case there's anybody in Calgary, Maxwell Dental. And they do like the holistic dentistry or I was it even called uh um what's a, what, what's the word I'm thinking of? Ambidextrous. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Naturopathic dentistry. So Ooh. I got a whole evaluation done on my mouth because I've had so much work done over the years. Mm-hmm. It's just a and I've got a broken tooth and a missing filling and Are you sure that our benefits cover naturopathic dentistry? 
Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. I, I already did it. I already went online and did my own estimate for this initial consultation. So I have to pay for an x-ray and I have to pay for the bacterial scan because they don't cover that. That's let, nice, eh? Let me know if it gets fully. Let me know what they say. I'm interested to see. Yeah, I mean, it, you know. I think they're going to tell you to go fuck yourself. Check out, I took a couple of pictures, cool pictures. Ooh. Yeah, that's my mouth in an x-ray, like the, the round or the... What are all those silver things, fillings? Those are all... <laughs> my mouth is full of crap, like, not not mercury fillings, but... Uh... Nice, can I have that picture? <laughs> he sent me those, who took yeah, those? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Look, at, that's my bacteria. So you, so they do a they do a it's it's here it's here it's a, a dental oh. system t talking about my bacteria. What's that shit? Your bacteria? Yeah. Watch. It's moving around like they do a slide. They actually do a they put under the microscope and we look at it together. That is fucking disgusting. Yeah, it's my plaque. Is that good or bad? That's bad. It's bad. Most people yeah. don't I mean, have that. No, most people do. But you don't want But it really that. gives you a visual of what's going on in your mouth. You think why that's they real? why they say to clean it what do you mean do you think it's real? I watched her put it under the microscope. Oh. There was a piece of food in there and like there I was a big blob that was unknown. Actually I took a picture of it. She's like, Well, I don't know what this is. I better get a, a hand checking this out and it was a piece of my leftover lunch. That's it there. <laughs> <laughs> that is fucking disgusting. Can you so put they, those pictures in the newsletter? Yeah. I'll put them somewhere, yeah. Let's put your dentist experience in a newsletter. So the uh, they give us a book to un uninformed consent. Actually, one of our past guests talked about that. So I basically had the whole the whole you know thing, my whole mouth analyzed, and then they take these HD pictures of your mouth with these mirrors and everything, and then the dentist does a whole review with you and he shows you each picture and he shows you all the old fillings that I have and how they're all like decaying around them. And uh, root canals that I have that have infections in the top, and my my uh, I only have one mercury filling, so I'm gonna get that taken out. I'll take. And then I can it. start that proper heavy metal detox. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty uh, informative. Gold's not a heavy metal. What? Gold's not a heavy metal. You said you had some gold teeth. Uh, in, all in the back of my bridge is all gold. That's all those things you saw in that big X-ray of my mouth. Yeah. Those are those are not mercury. Like that's not all mercury. Good to know we can hawk your teeth when just just for, to make rent once a month. He says, "What happened, hockey?" Because yeah. the bridge. I'm like, yeah, eventually. That's what happens. Get your when teeth knocked out. He's like, that's the story. That's what happens when your mouth is the same height as everybody else's elbow. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Recipe for trouble. Anyways, so what's the price tag total for that visit? For your mouth, to fix I don't know. Oh, it's, it's not. It's all. It's it's. Uh, if I went like perfect, perfect, it's yeah. off the charts. There's no way. I mean, it just. I have to prioritize it to remove a tooth that's infected, and then you know what he does. So you know how you get that dry socket afterwards. He takes your blood. He spins it in a. Uh, yeah, cent yeah. centrifugal yeah, force yeah, thing yeah, and injects it with you pulls out the white blood cells and the stem cells and puts it it, it ends up like a, a goop like a like a slug almost and then he puts that in your socket and it heals without dry socket he puts your own blood and stem cells back in that what else could he where else can he stick that shit and it sticks up in your head so your hair goes back 
Oh, that's nice. <laughs> just just rub it on my head, will you? <laughs> Give me a bit extra so I can take home. We'll try some experiments. Yeah. You imagine that? You so, had some yeah. great hair when you were younger. We could market that shit. Oh, yeah, you should see we'll, the fro I had when I was we'll younger. Clone, oh, I guess that's not good to we'll say. Clone it. I think you could say fro. Can I? I had a mullet. Like, I could pull the hair into my mouth. I'm not from sure you could say mullet. It's cultural appropriation. From the 80s? You can appropriate 80s culture? Oh, yeah. That's a problem? You're appropriating a decade. <laughs> that's okay for now, but I don't know. We should make that up. That's good. You can appropriate times instead of cultures. Eras? <clears throat> eras. Appropriation of eras. Anyways, it was a great experience. Like, really kind of learned a lot about why you got to take care of shit. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting that one thing of mercury out. The other one's pulled for the infection and everything fixed up. And it's always good. I'd like to do a run through like that. Fuck, I hate the dentist. I could use a cleaning. Hate the dentist. I know. This fucking drives me nuts. I know. What else you got, buddy? Oh, I got, under I got the weather this okay. week. So. I got something really interesting. So our buddy Mike from Which Vancouver. Mike? Friend Mike. Oh, I from think Vancouver. our other buddy Mike might come by tonight. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Truffaut. Oh, cool. So Mike found a connection between a UFO sighting in 1981 that was um, recorded by some cops mm. and Apollo 10 how it going over the dark side of the moon. This is going to blow you away. What, what day? This, this Apollo 10? What day? I don't know. I don't know. I need to know what day. Well, let me just see. So I'll play you. So it's the sound of the UFO that the UFO makes. But you didn't okay. have glasses today. You're bitching about glasses. I found them. What's the day? Okay, I need this to is, know the day. Well, I'll get that for you later. This, no, this I is, need to know today. <laughs> so this is the, this is 1981. Listen. Darren, listen. That's the one from yeah. that's the one from uh, 1981 in Oregon, the Columbia River UFO incident. Outer space type music. Oh, where, why did it disappear now? <clears throat> and then the other one is from Apollo 10. I've got a better. Uh, I've got two different uh, different ones here. Let's see, something's going on with. Listen. Do you hear that? That whistling sound? Yeah. Boy, that sure is weird music. Boy, it got quiet, didn't it?
You, are you listening? I can't quiet. believe this. Yeah, I'm looking for a date on the site. I've got actually uh, a. Uh... They're almost identical. Hey, Brody, were you listening to that? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, those are pretty close. They're, they, were, they were very close, yeah. Yeah, and Brody's a sound guy, sound engineer, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, the second one had more. Yeah, yeah, it was a little sharper. I mean, it could have been my volume was up. Definitely is maybe a little more to it. But and then there's a, a great transcript those on the both, video. Yeah, the, I'm looking at the transcript. of uh, of the the cops when you can't really hear what they're talking about, but they definitely saw this thing and they they heard it and they were talking about it. I would See? say they were both the same type thing. One was either bigger or closer. Yeah. So like they were definitely made for. Yeah. So interesting, eh? What does that tell you? I heard that one clip. UFOs are yeah, I've heard the Apollo ten one before yeah, too. I think there's even like a little video actually. Means there's something on the dark side of the moon. Flying around Earth. Far side of the moon. Maybe not flying around Earth. Well, it does. It takes turns going down the Columbia River. The Colum- what happened to China, China, I wonder. I don't know. Who which part of the Columbia River? I'd like to have a full update. I'd like to have a full update. We should go sail down the Columbia one day. Yeah. We'll jump on in Revelstoke. Float to the Pacific. Yeah, that'd be fun. We'll go to Gearheart. Can you go the whole way? You'd probably die. You jump the border? Do they have a border crossing on the Columbia? There's probably a few There's... dams, too. <laughs> Darren can teach you how to portage. You'll make it. There's probably a few dams, too. Just get some rubber dinghies and go for it. Because you should be able to like paddle off to the side, or does the dam suck you right in? I don't want to go through any turbines or anything. You do, there's a rope you could grab onto as a last resort, though, and then we'll come rescue you. All right, so I got a beef here. So for the listeners, oh boy, the so couch beef. just so the just so the listeners understand my side of the story about the whole moving with Darren experience. Okay, for so, the for, for the record, the, for the plan. it's not just moving into the studio. It's I know, it's, okay, oh, I know, okay. I know. I've moved stuff with you before, and it's <laughs> okay. very awkward yeah. from my end. <laughs> I bet because like I like you're to, an awkward guy. If it's you're gonna okay. squeeze through a fucking doorway <laughs> with a big couch, you plan it out a little bit. Darren just wants to shove the thing right through. You're going upstairs, and you're stopping. Go, okay, how do you want to do this? Right? All that's all I'm asking. Like, you want to turn it on its side? <laughs> do you want to? You know, it looks like we're gonna have to angle. It's not gonna fit. Just jamming it right through. But he just wants to just go up the stairs and just go right through, like, you know, not even talk about any of it. Just fucking push it through everything. And this is what the whole moving experience is like with you. And that's why you broke two TVs on your way to the studio. (laughs) Because you didn't plan it out at all. (laughs) Where do these TVs go? Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe face to face. Oh, they're frozen? I think so. So you didn't plan that out. Putting them in storage could have. I didn't, I didn't plan the reheating of the TVs. Yeah. But. So that's where I'm coming from. I just want you just a little try bit to of plan it out. Just, just a little bit. Just so just, you don't wreck walls hey, or couches. We're going to or... carry this couch up these stairs and out the door. <laughs> okay. It doesn't even fit in the door sometimes. You know, you got to turn it, it always on fits. side or whatever. When hasn't yeah. it fitted? You know, you're just constantly trying to adjust for you just trying to crawl the fits. piece of furniture yeah. forward. Yeah. And that's, that's the awkward part, just us trying to adjust to your, like, just randomness. No, just you. With your most rariness? people, it's pretty, oh, right. most people are pretty intuitive. Oh. <laughs> I'm intuitive. I'm just intuitive that we're going to wreck something in the place. Uh, it's okay, man. You just right. think of it as a blessing. Right. I don't care. You don't I'm, get it, called, I'm not offended. I'm just telling you my side of the story. It's you don't get how. called to move stuff often. That's Maybe that's part of the grand it. plan, eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's okay. 
You know, you're. Uh... I've been luckily. I've been busy enough times that now it's people don't call me anymore. Hmm. I've been busy enough times and haven't been able to help. That now I don't really get the call for moving anymore. Yeah. And you suck at it. So a combination of those. The last two times we moved, you had to drive to Saskatoon. Yeah, exactly. And it was planned out like weeks in advance. It's no, not, no, it's not like we just decided like the day before. No, like, I was planning Hey, fuck, out. we're moving tomorrow. Actually, I think one of them was like three days ahead, and I'd already planned it long ago. So don't, don't think <laughs> I, don't think I was. It's no. like, oh, shit, I'm out of town that no. weekend. <laughs> Tough one. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, you got to move the studio? Oh, shit. I'm out of town. Well, it's good because you didn't want me anyway. So, That's right. I mean, it worked out. Oh, there, the heavy man. panels moving with you is super awkward. The heavy, well, a 400-pound panel? Yeah. With you not planning a thing, just fucking <laughs> ripping them down and <laughs> like, throwing them on a fucking cement rolling block? They're like 200 block. pounds. Do you remember how we got him in the studio, rolling them on yeah, your right. cement blocks? Ramming things through is the way to go. If we're for ramming things through, we'd still be planning America. <laughs> You just right. It's got to be a happy medium between Rami and planning. Not when you're moving shit. Ugh. With podcasting, maybe. Not with moving. Or not with building. Listen, we planned already. We're moving this couch up the stairs, out the door. Yeah, but what if it doesn't fit through the doorway properly? Like, you don't even take it. That's that never happened. You're just like, That's never happened. I've had to That's put literally couches never off happened. the balconies because they don't fit down the stairs. They don't fit. They Do you have, what happened to yeah. you? Tell us the story. Tell us the story of what happened to you. Maybe I fell off the balcony with a couch or something. Maybe I mean, maybe it was. Is that what happened? Something happened. I don't know. Maybe it was moving as a kid. Maybe yeah. I got real stressed out moving as a kid. Maybe there's some leftover baggage there. Feel like delicate about it. Awkward. You know what it is? You want to help, but you don't really want to get in there. You know what it is? What? <laughs> <laughs> You know what? what it is? Yeah, the mouse in the studio. Oh, there's a mice here. Good. Coming with diseases. You can see the mouse right now? Yeah. What, through the camera or through? <laughs> no, no. Oh. He's on your shoulder. Oh, don't, tell the, don't tell the people that rent the space out there. They already know. Um, what was I going to say? You know what it is, honestly? Is you've moved a lot for work. We've got to get most moved, traps. Like for your work, you've moved Don't a lot point. of heavy stuff. That's pointing at me with a mark. Right? That, you've moved a lot of heavy stuff. That's right. So you're probably very used to just ramming shit around. Cause you, That's right. You know, and for us normal people that don't move stuff for a living, you'd want to be a little more careful. Okay. <laughs> Actually, and I do have a rock Most of the people I, 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 I chum pen, around right? with and move with are working people, construction people. Yeah, I'm more skilled in the moving of things yeah, than maybe. my podcast buddy. That's okay. All right, I'm, I'm not. You had, you had a lot of finesse to the show. You're not. I'm not it's more like triggered. I'm not even triggered. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell my side of the story. Sonny, Sonny, someone commented on the YouTube video. We all know someone like Graham. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends was like, I was listening to your podcast. I don't know what Darren was talking about. Something about you moving or something. And he's like, you're not, you're not, uh, what did he say? He said this same thing. Well, same thing I said, like that. I wasn't like I was waiting or wasn't fast enough or something. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm trying to plan it out. It's okay. Your friend agreed with me? No, he agreed with me. Of course he did. You probably only chum around with people that agree with you. You're stuck doing this podcast with me. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we agreed more in the beginning. Then you got to know me, and now you're like, fuck this. Yeah, guy. exactly. What happened with a few people. You're probably ramming because you're late. No, always because always running I'm a get shit done guy, man. <laughs> We're getting shit done. Hey, I launched 13 questions before the website was finished. Hurry up. Yeah, I know. Because we're going. The website we're like, launching. I can't see it there. We've like launched. There. Fix it. Make it happen. We've launched. We're going. So, so it has to be sometimes. No, there's something to be said for that. You got to yep. jump into I appreciate the, it. It's like jumping off a cliff into the, into the fog. Assuming there's a fucking river down there. Okay, I got a great email to read. You like this. Who can I jingle it up somehow? Well, you just did the spam grandma. Oh. Okay. It's a synchronicity if you want to do the synchro jingle. Synchronicity. It's time for another installment of the Canadian Third Party Synchronicity Rating Authority. Boy, I still got the egg burps. All right, you ready? <clears throat> Podcasting under the weather. Hi, Darren and Graham. My name is Logan, and I currently live in Washington, D.C. I wanted to share with you a couple stories revolving around synchronicities. First of all, I love getting these emails. That's awesome from people. So keep, Email keep, Graham or... Keep emailing them in, graham at grahamerica.com. You can also uh, jump in the chats as well and send them in there that way Grammar if you America. want. Slash chats. But, but email is probably the best way, just to, to at least to track them. So the first will be a personal story, and the second is more of a vast mass synchronicity. The first is a story about two linked mushroom trips. I must have Darren's attention now. That's right. Can I have your phone, please? Don't touch my shit. My, my lifelong best friend Aaron and I did mushrooms together for the first time one summer evening at home in Oklahoma. Just, How long ago? Uh, I don't know. See if it... Uh, you're, answer, you're asking questions that I don't know the answer to again, and just to bug me. Story of your life. So it was just next to our college campus. As you know, it was delightful and purely positive. Later in the night, we found ourselves stumbling out of the house into the real world. We walked the campus and take in the majesty of the situation. All the good feels were around us, and we find ourselves in front of the university's physics building. Now, on one side of the facade of this building are giant glass panels from top to bottom, revealing a giant focalt pendulum that hung from the inside. As we watched this massive pendulum swing back and forth, knocking down little pins as time went along, we turned to each other and exclaimed how we need to bring chairs with us the next time we trip and find ourselves in front of this pendulum. We then go about the rest of our night with glee, Fast forward to the end of that summer, Aaron and I find ourselves tripping mushrooms again one evening, which also eventually led to the finding ourselves on campus again. We then remember the pendulum and head towards it. Now keep in mind this is late at night on a deserted campus in the summer. As we come around to it, we can't believe what we are seeing. Sitting right in front of the pendulum, <laughs> and the key word I'm using here is waiting for us is a chair. Our jaws hit the ground. 
It was at that moment we looked at one another and thought to ourselves, there must be another chair. And that's when we saw it, just to the side, hiding in a small tucked away alcove, peeking out at us, the other chair. We lost it. We tried to come up with any excuse for why they would be there, who put them there, etc. but nothing seemed to work or make sense. It was quite amazing. To me, it was a wink from the universe. And it is also the first time I began to truly believe in real magic. The second one is for Darren, since he's so late in the game, it hurts me. <laughs> late in what game? In, in this game. That's not a synchro in either. In this game. The first one? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course it is. No. Why? Is it a ripple stick? Yeah. They intended some chairs around mushrooms. They could, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Imagine. There's a story behind those chairs, though. They didn't just manifest. They manifested, but they didn't just materialize. Someone left them there for them. Yeah. Be more interesting when you get an email next week from the guy who lost his chairs at the pendulum. So being from Oklahoma, I was in second grade when the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. Young enough... Young enough to not fully understand the situation, but knowing that something did not just seem entirely right amongst the confusion. I think that event, being so close to it, propelled me into the case of 9-11. It was only a few years after that event that I began to see the signs. Ever since, I've dabbled in most theories and kept all of them on my back burner. I see no point in violently dismissing this or that theory. You never know when it might come back into play. Within all of these, threading them together, there comes across a situation of, if you will, life imitating art. Now, before I continue, you must be familiar with Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Are you familiar with that one? Oh, been a long time. Yeah, yeah. If you are aware of it, then you might know the film is alchemical. I'll try to narrow this down to a bite-sized level. I just finished reading The Alchemist today. <laughs> cool. <laughs> little giggle in the corner. <laughs> Consider this subject as a true Pandora's box. Surprisingly, and almost almost unnoticed, this is one of the first films to use product placements. There are a few recognized brands like IBM, Pan Am, and particularly for this case is Hilton. We see it used in the film during the first orbital station scenes. Also, you must be aware of the film's mysterious monolith figure. The monolith is a smooth, black, rectangular mass that represents an unseen extraterrestrial intelligence. The monolith itself is in the film, shows itself in the film, during critical turning points, evolutions. Now, with all this in mind, put yourself in the financial district of downtown Manhattan on September 11, 2001. At the foot of the World Trade Center complex is the Hilton Millennial Hotel. The hotel itself is literally an intentional replica of the monolith from 2001 A Space Odyssey. On September 11th, when the towers were attacked and destroyed, the monolith was there, front and center. And when there was nothing left but death and dust on the ground, the monolith oversaw it all. The ground zero was overlooked by the looming monolith during the recovery. Humanity's mass tuning in of the events was the collective touching of the monolith. I would love to go into further detail, but I will hold that for potentially another time, as this is just a friendly hello from 
an Oklahoma in the swamp. I do believe that something oh, beyond what? Oklahoma, I guess that's probably like a derogatory nickname of a guy from Oklahoma. Yeah, I'd watch that. Well, he, that's what he put. I'm going to read it. Okay. Well, I'm, gonna I'm not going to censorship write you, our emails I'm gonna here. I'm going to write you an email. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Under an alias. Yeah. <laughs> I do believe that something beyond crazy happened there after I've per personally witnessed a giant invisible pyramid where they once stood. I also believe that whoever or whatever did it created a religion on that spot. Something, something, Saturn worship, which I found proof of, photo supplied. Thank you, boys, for your hard work. I've been listening for almost a year now, and I'm about to get ready to support this show once this DC shutdown furlough game is over, if it ever ends. It is over. But don't worry. If you are reading this aloud, I am blowing you kisses. And then he sends a couple links. And then he says, uh, the attached images. <clears throat> and I can show you, uh, I can show you a couple of these images, which I don't remember seeing at all. And I'll show you another one here. That's just really, really interesting. Ooh, wow. This is really compelling audio. Yeah. Thanks buddy. So I don't remember seeing those images. Of that is the oh is that building that skinny? How come it didn't fall down? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? The Millennium Hotel? You think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'd have to do some searching. I mean, I'm just reading it, but it's uh, I don't recognize it being that outstanding. In the so here, there's another. It shot is there. dead center of it. Look yeah. at. Oh yeah, you're looking at the thing right there. Eh? Where do you see it? That's the millennial? Yeah, it's a millennial. Oh, it hotel. does show it right there. It does look there, like yeah. I'm fucking. If yeah. I painted that thing black, it would look like oh, that. Oh, I mean, it's just like when you look at the pictures of the monolith and that thing standing there mm -hmm. afterwards. Interesting. I can't wait to hear more about this religion. Or is this it? This it. Well, it's the Saturn. That picture is supposed right? to make me believe the religion part? Yeah, I get well, that. nothing's supposed to make you believe anything. It's just something to think about. <laughs> Everything's supposed to make me believe something. Like he said, don't, you know, don't You're violently... constantly trying to make me believe things. Am I? Yeah. <laughs> You're very dogmatic. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> very triggerable, too. So what else you got? Anything else? It'll ripple so stick we, we just got to, we got to, I mean, we got to just, we got to plug the, some other stuff, the do cat. some housekeeping and cat. all that. If, unless you got something else, we can just, oh, I got the UFO quote of the week too. Uh, I thought you were going to the. I'll uh, do both. We'll do, we'll, we have to transition properly and do a UFO one and then transition into the, okay. the octopus of Fine. global control. Fine. Down in Graham, going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Words to ponder and critique. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Oh, okay. So I, I should be, I should get next time I'll get ready with this one. I've lost it already. There it is. The story I put out was very simple, to the effect that we had in our possession a flying saucer. 
It was found on a ranch up north of Roswell. It was being flown to General, General Ramey's office. The information was given to me almost verbatim by Colonel Blanchard. He said, I want you to give it to the local newspapers and radio stations and do it post-haste. The cover-up was pretty well orchestrated. I think the thought of handling it that way came down from Washington through channels. We were told that we were all wrong, that it was just a weather balloon. And that was Lieutenant Walter Haddup, Roswell Army Air Base Public Information Officer. Thanks, Lieutenant. Okay, I'll pull one out of here, too. Everybody's probably heard this one before, but I will just wing it here. We knew we knew the world. Okay, this is this is part of the gig. You got to guess who who reads these or whose quote this is. Ready? We knew the world would not be the same. A few people laughed. A few people cried. Most people were silent. I remember the line from the Hindu scripture. Oppenheimer. Ah, fuck. The Bhagavad Gita. Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says now i am become death the destroyer of worlds i suppose we all thought that one way or another nailed it yeah that was good yeah one nothing darren <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it's two nothing. Didn't you get the last one too? Yes. I'm gonna have to go through and look for more obscure ones from now on. I think. Two, you're never gonna. I have a photographic memory. You're never gonna. Speaking of that, I got Mark Grober's here because that's full of quotes as well. Who the fuck is Mark Grober? After you just said you had a photographic. Mark Grober. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna be pulling quotes out of this one too because it's full of awesome quotes from scientists. Let's let's pronounce his name properly the next time we pull quotes from his book. Okay, buddy. <laughs> Anything else? Should we just wrap it up? You want to talk about Do you about remember cat? that we told him when we first started that I get names wrong a lot? Yeah. And so there it is. That should just, just be part of the email yeah. we send out. <laughs> yeah. Ground just butchers names. So we should talk about what do you want to talk about first? We should talk about. Let's talk about the black budget. So here, what we do here is instead of splitting these in, in interviews in half and charging for the second half, like a lot of people do, yeah, we just do this intro, we get in people involved, their emails and stuff like that. We have a full blown in, interview after this and then, no we put, ads. and then we put no ads, nothing. It's all done because you guys support us. Like we can't do it without your support. <clears throat> can't do it without just. And then we put a whole bunch of other content in a, in a black budget support feed. It's just a separate feed with some some chats with friends of ours, some reading of essays and interesting papers, uh, a bunch of different stuff, some controversial stuff, some other people's stuff, um, and any donation gets you there. So, I mean, instead of making you pay like nine bucks a month to get the second half of an interview, we just trust that people will donate whatever they can because they, they see can. value when they can and they get access to it. Yeah. So, I would still call that value for value can be a one-time donation or recurring. Obviously, recurring is best for us so we can plan a little bit. Recurring is best. Yeah. You know, we we like to think we add a little value to your lives, you know? In the age of $5 coffees, $3 coffees, whatever the fuck coffee costs these days. I think one, three, five, seven bucks a month for 
monthly supporter, your favorite podcast, your second favorite podcast, probably favorite. There's not too much to ask. So I can see a thousand people signed up by the end of the month. That's only 700 to go. 600 something. Anyway, seriously, we don't have a lot of supporters. We are, uh, we are, you know. Super grateful for all of them. Super grateful for every single supporter we have. And we didn't go out planning this, but it, it, it turned into a good thing. And it spiraled And people started donating and we're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get an office. And now we're doing it. Now we have to pay for the office. Yeah. The rent comes due. Yeah. So, uh. So yeah, and we also we also started up another uh, podcast. You want to talk about that, Darren? Uh, well, first we should give out the support link. Oh yeah, okay. slash support if you want to support the show. We ask that you do. If you don't like PayPal, you can do grandmarket.ca slash Stripe, which we ask that you do, or grandmarket.ca slash Patreon. Well, well, that's still around. Which we ask that you run subscribe star too, the alt right one. Whatever they call them. What? what are you talking about? <laughs> they're back up and running. They just emailed me and said they're good to go. I think we have Nikki the Dude, their only supporter on Subscribestar. So check that shit out. Um, what else you got? CAC. We need a CAC jingle. Hmm. Nothing. CAC. Worth coming to? I think the last weekend's only got three spots left. Can I tell you about something first? Uh, Relay the CAC? Sure. I had a guy in hockey go, because he knows when we podcast and stuff like that, right? And he was, actually, you know him too. And he says, oh, my new hero, like, I think he said hero or something, is Randall. And I'm like, Randall Carlson? He's like, yeah, yeah. And I go, hey, man, you should come with us. We're going to, we're going to Colorado with him for 10 days in May to do like three little meetups there mm-hmm. in a big log cabin. And he was like, wow, that's awesome. So, is he coming? I don't know. We'll see. But... That was kind of cool to be able to to say that, uh, you know, we're going to be chatting with him in person for a few days in May. Absolutely. We've got the May 17th to 20th, May 20th to 23rd, and May 23rd to 27th dates available. That, uh, that last weekend, I think, the last time I checked was down to three spots. Now, I know who... Randall's also going on Expander Perspectives later tonight. Yeah, that's, ooh, really? Yeah, ooh, they got so a huge audience. Quick. Yeah, it's going to fill up quick. Uh, he was on Graylian Report last week, which comes out on Monday, which is like uh, a few couple days here. The 18th, that's coming out. Expander Perspectives is going to come out fairly quickly. Um, the other thing is he's been doing a Zoom meeting every week. I mean, he's not going to be there yeah, every yeah, week, yeah. but he's Alan done a few me, weeks yeah, in a you row. You can't say like, that oh, he's going to be there every no, no, week, yeah. but, you know, he'll be there at least once a month, so that's another thing to think about. The sooner yeah. you get in, if you get your ticket now, then, you know, like he's been Alan showing has where these he's monthly, travel and all yeah, that. these it's weekly unreal. Monday things set up, and Randall comes in from time to time. He's been in there a few times in a row, but he's, he's going to come in at least once a month. Graham and I pop in from time to time and uh, half an hour 45 minutes we just talk about the upcoming trip people can make suggestions they can talk to randall randall does some little showing what we're going to do and what we're going to look at and uh, all that fun stuff we were actually supposed to i forgot we were supposed to call alan earlier and, and sort out some itinerary <laughs> but uh, you were you were very late I getting late. to the studio yeah, but you know what i could have called you in the car yeah, we could have totally that done good. that yeah. from the car yeah. we could have got something done Instead, we didn't. Yeah. That's sorry. okay. We'll get them next time. Anyway, 
Uh, third weekend's only got about three spots left. We are over one third sold out. And uh, I mean, that first third, the first like 15 spots went quick when we first mentioned it. So if that kind of effect happens uh, with the Graylian and expanded perspective communities as well, uh, this thing could feasibly be sold out by the end of the month. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'll leave it at that. You know, I don't want to put too much pressure on you, but it's looking real possible. I would say yeah, describe it a bit more for too, sure. You know? By the end of the month, it's going to be, it's probably going to be sold out. So this year we got Randall Carlson at the, at the estate in, in Colorado, Elk Lake Lodge, 122 acre estate. Randall will be in the house. For 10 days, we're doing three groups of 25 each, staying in the house or camping on site. We'll have a catered event. we got a couple of, couple of uh, so it's catered, uh, catered lunches and breakfasts. You're on your own for dinners. Um, and we got a couple of, we'll have transportation for all the excursions. Uh, there's a, an excursion for each group. So there'll be an official field trip with Randall for each group. Randall will do a, a presentation the other day. We'll probably do some podcasts and stuff, and then there'll be some time for people to maybe do, go do some sea setting with Graham or go to Chimney Rock. or C5, yeah. Yeah, I might go check It's close to Four the, Corners, too. It's like close to it, Four Corners. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Keith down there, Keith and Gage, a couple of local Graham Americans from the area that are take are taking care of the catering. Oh, and nice. uh, Well, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I might see if we can go check out a grow-op or something like that on one of the days. Go fucking yeah, go for it. They know a bunch of people. It's Colorado, right? Yeah, it's the Wild West, so we'll do a little yeah. getaway. See, the ground just like flattens out. It's like oh, C five, C five. Oh, go for it. <laughs> oh, go for it. So we might do that. Yeah. Well, well, the, well. The dorks are doing their C five. We'll go look for UFOs, and you can go look for your grow up. Yeah, we will. We'll ask go questions. Go we'll sample. It. You guys will just walk around looking up. Like we're not walking around. We're gonna sit in a circle, meditate, play the singing bowl. Catch some UFOs. Catch? Catching them now? Yeah. Huh. Have you caught one yet? You'll get there, buddy. You'll get there. You'll get there. I wonder when they'll make a camera good enough that you can just stick it on your forehead and it looks just like your eyes do and sees everything you see. Yeah. That's the problem with these cameras. They don't really see for landscapes and stuff like that. You can hardly see anything. Nah, it never works. Just don't work. Anyway. It's worth checking out. Like I say, it's going to sell out fairly quick. I'd get in there now, and then uh, the sooner you get in there, you can sooner you can start joining the the Zoom chats with Randall and the gang, and start planning your trip. Yep, down there, great area. So it'll be fun. Ground will be there. I'll be there. Be hanging out. Randall will be there. <coughs> Highly. So head over to badcomment.com. Has all the information, pictures of the place, all that stuff. And links to sign up. So the updated Everything's link, at bad the updated link will be in the show notes, or can they also email still? Email hdtravel.me still works. Okay. Badcomet.com forwards to hdtravel.me. Bad comment is just more ring to it, right? Bad comment, the comment that hit and caused the ice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just wasn't sure if you were there or not. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't. You seemed like, I uh, wasn't sure. No, just things change halfway through and I have to remarket it. That's okay. What are you talking can about? Can you still email? Um, hdtravel.me, the other email still works. Okay. Take it easy. What is it? CAC 2019? Yeah. At HD There you go. Okay. Yeah. Take it easy. Good. Step back from the ledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Uh, I think that's it, right? 13. Breakfast, lunch provided. Breakfast, lunch provided. 13. 13 what? Questions. I was, I mean, that's about it for the cat. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I thought you meant overall. Did we already beg for money? Well, yeah, and the black budget thing, yeah. Right on. So that leaves us with grammarica.ca slash chats and the new podcast ground when I started up. It's officially in the iTunes store and on Spotify. With help from, with help from some other guys. With help from a ton of people. Adam, Mike, Ryan, specifically. Yep. Um, anyway, Jordan. Yep. Jordan's actually on a couple of the first episodes. Cool, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Head over to 13questionspodcast.com or just search for it in your favorite podcast player and you'll find it. It's on Spotify as well. Check it out. It's uh, People have it's listened deep. to it so far seem to be uh, really enjoying it. Yep. So hopefully... No, we really enjoy doing it. Yeah, it's a fun one to yeah. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that about wraps it up, guys. We'll get out of here. We'll let you get to your interview. Enough of our lazy ramblings. Enjoy the chat. Mark Gober. Tonight we've got Mark Gober with us, the author of a fantastic book, An End to Upside-Down Thinking, dispelling the myth that the brain produces consciousness and the implications for everyday life. And uh, Mark's got an interesting story about how he started out in business and uh, started listening to podcasts, which kind of led from a materialistic, kind of skeptical view of the world to writing this awesome book, kind of battling materialism. So it's really good to have you on and chat. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I don't. I mean, I read most of the book. Um, skipped some of the of the inside because we've talked about a lot of these topics before and stu- and done a lot of the research, uh, or you know, had people on that have done a lot of the research and that you uh, reference in the book. But I don't know where you want to start. I mean, I'm always interested in the journey of of you, and you know, I love the the journey of the materialist changing to really like start looking at the evidence. There's evidence all over the place for this. You know that hey, our brain doesn't create consciousness. So maybe we could start with that, but I mean, I definitely want to leave time for talking about the implications, which you wrote, you know, quite a large section of your book is the implications of how that, this, this change in thinking can affect our daily lives. Yeah. So my background, as you mentioned before, is in business and I'm, I still work in business. I'm a partner at a firm in Silicon Valley called Sherpa Technology Group, and we advise tech companies on their business strategy and on their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I worked in investment banking with a large firm called UBS in New York. So that's, that's what I do professionally. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 2016, August, 2016 was the first time that I got wind of some of this stuff. But prior to that, I, 
I really just had never heard of, first of all, the question of consciousness. That wasn't even on my mind. I, I thought there was just kind of a foregone conclusion that, that the brain is what produces consciousness. And when I say consciousness, I mean the subjective inner experience that we all have right now, where we all have this awareness that's not really tangible. And my assumption was that we, we already know that that comes from the brain. There's a lot of complex stuff happening in our skull, and it produces the awareness that we have. So that has a, a big set of implications if you take that literally. If you, if you say that the brain is what produces consciousness, then when the brain dies, when the body dies, then it's over. That yeah. means there's no consciousness, no memories, no feelings. So with that set of beliefs, it's, it's hard, if not impossible, to come up with meaning in life. So I, I didn't talk about these things, but in the back of my mind, I would always say, well, life doesn't really matter. It's just a rationalization to think that anything matters. And if I'm going to be honest with myself, then I can't, I can't come up with meaning when there isn't any meaning. And that was kind of how I thought about things, but never questioned it much because I thought science was, it was just converging in that area and that we had moved away from, from other sets of beliefs as a society. Um, so when I first stumbled across these podcasts in, in 2016, it started with Extreme Health Radio, which is it was, it's a health show. I wasn't even trying to learn about consciousness. I was <laughs> listening for alternative health stuff. And they, they had a woman on named Laura Powers who talked about her psychic abilities and the ability to communicate with non-physical entities and to work with energy. It was the first time I had heard anyone speak about those topics beyond science fiction. So at the end of that episode, Laura mentioned her own podcast, which is called Healing Powers, where she interviews other people that have had these types of experiences. And I ended up listening to that whole podcast dating back to their 2011 episodes. So I listened to like the whole thing very quickly. And it got to the point where there were so many independent accounts of this stuff from people that were not connected to each other. So I, I couldn't reason that they were all lying. I was just very confused. I'm like, wait, is, it, is there kind of, some kind of mass delusion going on or what's the deal here? And that led me to then do a lot of the scientific research that I chronicle in the book. And um, after researching for a year, it was just a year's worth of, of really nonstop researching outside of the office because I just wanted to understand this stuff. And for me, it was a very radical shift in just how I thought about life. The book came later. It was, it was after that year of research that I said I wanted to put it on paper. But my initial intent was just to understand this stuff so that I could understand more about who and what we are and what this reality is that we're in. Because I think having that basic underpinning is what governs how we act in the world. And if I had to shift the most basic assumptions, and that has big implications for how I think about just the meaning of my own life. Yeah, 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 that's super interesting. We found that on the show over the last five and a half years that people are starting to open up to these experiences that are generally unexplained in the mainstream paradigm. And I think that that's one of the things that on top of all the, the evidence that is out there and on top of all the, you know, like the... The challenges with getting peer-reviewed journals, like these things into peer-reviewed journals, which you which you also talk about in the book, is just the the amount of experiences that people are are having, or that they know of loved ones that have had it, and that they're able to now. It's it seems like we're finally getting to the point where um, people feel like they're comfortable enough to share this, and now there's we can sit here on the show and talk about this kind of thing. I think that's one of the big things that's helping as well. And, you know, I'm glad that you recognize that because for me, that's one of the big parts is not just the science of it, but the sheer amount of anecdotal evidence that people are having these unexplained experiences. 
Yeah, that was a big one for me. And, and what I've noticed now that I've, I've come out with this book is that more and more people are opening up. Yeah. And they'll say to me, well, I've had this experience, but I never felt comfortable speaking about it. So what I, that's what I'm finding is that this, these yeah. experiences are not uncommon. And that is not surprising, given that I now think the reality we're in is, is a conscious, consciousness-based reality. So these things are actually not paranormal at all. They're, they're what you would predict to happen. Yeah. So what were some of the other things that you that attracted you to go down this rabbit hole after after hearing uh, powers and the, and the sort of the psychic part of it? Um, what about what else sort of what other kind of um, areas of this drew you in further? To me, the biggest draw was that there were so many different areas. So ranging from psychic phenomena like telepathy or remote viewing or precognition to things like near-death experiences and children who have past life memories and mediumship. There were all these independent areas that did not conform to the materialist assumptions that the consciousness is confined to the brain, consciousness is produced by the brain. But those phenomena, all those different phenomena that I explained and more, uh, those could be explained by this alternative paradigm, by saying, no, consciousness doesn't come from the brain. We just have to view the brain differently, more like a filter of consciousness or an antenna receiver or something, some kind of processor rather than the producer. So that was, that was a huge thing for me that it wasn't just one area. It wasn't like a really good study on telepathy, even though that exists. The fact that there are so many different areas. Were you surprised that all the science was already already established for this, all these different areas? Because there is a lot, there's a lot of, a lot of studies and a lot of research in each of those areas that you talk about. Yeah, I was, I'm still surprised. I mean, the fact that the U.S. government had a 20 year program, 20 plus year program on remote viewing during the Cold War, that Princeton had a lab for nearly 30 years run by the former Dean of Engineering, that the University of Virginia has been looking at children with past life memories and other phenomena for more than 50 years. These are big institutions that are looking at this stuff and that are finding evidence. So I'm still surprised by it. And it's one of the the big pieces of feedback that I get when I just talk to friends and and other people about these topics is, is that initially they don't know how to respond if they've never heard these things before, because they just haven't even heard of the evidence. So there's, it's difficult to refute it other than wait, if this were real, then more people would be talking about it. And yet they're not. So there must be some trick here and it must be fraudulent. And I, I think that there's, a, there's really an information asymmetry. The information isn't getting out there enough. And that's why one of the reasons I felt so compelled to write the book, to put all this evidence into one place so that it's not so uh, out there anymore, that this is just what science is now pointing towards. Like in any other kind of scientific revolution we've had, there's an accumulation of evidence and then all of a sudden the paradigm shifts. Yeah, yeah. So if it's, if it's a consciousness-based reality, is that more along the line? Do you think that more along the lines of if if our brain's not creating the consciousness, is it like a kind of like we're like an ant where we're feeding off some sort of a group consciousness, or is it something more along, you know, something larger than that, like cosmic, something mm-hmm. cosmic, or is it you know, is it is it a, some sort of a simulation, or what's your which way do you think it points there? The way I think about it generally, and. and it's, I think it's difficult for the human mind to try to conceptualize and, and linearize these concepts that are so maybe even beyond what we can comprehend. But the, the reason the book is called An End to Upside-Down Thinking is that what I'm calling upside-down thinking is the idea that matter is fundamental in the universe, materialism, and consciousness comes from matter through a material brain. And the, what I'm arguing is the flip, 
which is that consciousness is fundamental, as Max Planck, the Nobel Prize winning physicist said. He said, I regard consciousness as fundamental, and I regard matter as derivative from consciousness. He said that in 1931. So the way I view reality is, is very much along the lines of what Dr. Bernardo Kastrup says in his book, which is called Why Materialism is Baloney. He says, imagine that reality is like a stream of water, where water represents consciousness. And each of us is like a whirlpool within that broader stream of consciousness. So the whirlpool is made of water, but there's their delineations so that we have an individual experience, and yet we're still connected as part of the same consciousness. So that's the way I tend to think about it. And to quote Erwin Schrodinger, another Nobel Prize winning physicist, he says, in truth, there is only one mind. Yeah. There is no cat. Um, is, hmm, so it's like, it's close to like what Bill Hicks said. And we're just like the imagination of ourselves. I like that model. Yeah. To me, that, that is what, that's a model that can account for all these different data points. It can account for a lot of magic and stuff too, right? Then it all sort of, you can tie it all together from there. That's, that's how I see it is that we can explain a lot of things. If we, we just flip the placement of consciousness. It doesn't mean that we get rid of many of the things that materialism uh, have given us. We've yeah. learned a lot from materialism and, and we can still learn a lot from it. It's just recontextualizing it. Yeah, it's not, it's not instead of it's adding to, you know, it's both. I agree. Yeah, that's because, uh, you know, I really like that because I, I always like to argue that, you know, placebo, magic, affirmations, intentions, it's all the same. It's all a different stroke of the same brush sort of thing, or, you know, it's all the same somehow. And this kind of ties it all together. It kind of puts a nice little, it kind of gives it some context. Exactly. And another thing that really surprised me as I got more and more into the research. So I should start by saying, initially, I didn't have this framework where I said, you know, it's, it's a consciousness-based reality. Initially, it was a bunch of phenomena that didn't make sense. And then I heard of people that were arguing for this consciousness-centric picture and realize, I realized very quickly that it all fit together. But another reason I like that model is that the consciousness-centric picture conforms to our own experience, which is that we always experience things subjectively. It's always experienced as a consciousness, right? I see the computer. I see the chair. Any experience I have starts with I, the consciousness. So to say that anything exists outside of that experience is, is possible that it exists. It's just not provable. And if we take that out even further, do a thought exercise and say, imagine that there was a material universe, but there was no consciousness in the universe. Could that universe exist? Yeah. Right. Technically, it could exist, but we could never prove it because we would not have any consciousness there to actually verify that it exists. So ironically, materialism, which says that matter is preceding consciousness, that requires a leap of faith that something could exist prior to and outside of consciousness. So that, to, to be really, really skeptical, I think it would be to start with consciousness because it's the only thing that we can actually know for sure. And it's, it's interesting that Albert Einstein, back in the 1930s, he was a materialist, but he acknowledged that this was a leap of faith. So he was a materialist and he said, I cannot prove that my conception is right, but that is my religion. Yeah. Acknowledging that leap of faith that's required to accept materialism. Yeah. So to me, the really skeptical position is that all we can know is subjectivity, is consciousness. So to start with consciousness just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. 
And it's very similar to, isn't it? Didn't you find some similarities with ancient Eastern uh, religions and stuff like that as well? I mean, they, this is kind of stuff they've been talking about for thousands of years on a more, you know, esoteric level. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm finding is that all of the mystical traditions, uh, whether it's the Eastern religions or Kabbalah and Judaism, Gnosticism and Christianity, Sufism and Islam, they all speak of this kind of universal consciousness that we're a part of, and they just say it in different ways. Yeah. The Akashic record. Exactly. Well, yeah, that too, right? That, that's the, I think that's the equivalent of the cosmic thing you're talking about, like the cosmic level of, of consciousness to me seems like the Akashic records, where you're just, you're rete- your receiver, your antenna is just tapping into to that infinite library of knowledge of everything and that ever was and ever will be. I mean, maybe, it's maybe like, time's not even, maybe time's not even there. It's just, you can't tap into the past and the future. And so you eat a bunch of mushrooms. <laughs> Where do the psychedelics fit into all that? Um, so the, the way I, I view the brain, so the, there's a big question still, even if we accept this view of, of consciousness and reality, what's the brain's role? Like we know that if you get injured and you might have memory loss, we change the brain we change the conscious experience. You stimulate a part of the brain, let's say the part of the brain responsible for vision, then the person has a change in vision. So there's this really tight correlation between what happens to the brain and what happens to our consciousness. So we know the brain's related. And the big question, the big assumption in materialism is that correlation is the same as causation. Because there's this tight correlation, it must therefore be true that the brain is producing consciousness. And we know that from statistics, that's not always true. And there's a great analogy from, again, Dr. Bernardo Castro, who says, imagine that you have a fire and lots of firefighters show up. You have a larger fire and more firefighters show up. We know that the firefighters aren't causing the fire, even though there's a strong relationship between the firefighter's presence and the existence of a fire. So the question is, what is, the, what is another way to explain this relationship between the brain and, and consciousness? And getting back to your question about psychedelics, is if we view the brain as being like a filter of consciousness, where the brain is actually limiting the consciousness that we experience, uh, then we might expect there to be a pattern where if we reduced brain functioning in certain cases, then we would see enriched conscious experience. We see that with the near-death experience when a person has little or no brain functioning, and yet they have this extremely lucid and logical experience where their consciousness is active. Another example is psychedelics where there are emerging studies, uh, particularly with psilocybin, where the person is tripping on the psychedelic, and yet they have a reduction in brain functioning. So that it fits the pattern of a reduction in brain function associated with heightened consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was quite a surprise to the researchers when they realized that. (laughs) So if that's the case, then it's quite possible that when you die, man, it's pedal to the metal. People who have had near-death experience, that's what they say, is that the brain is really just limiting our experience. So we've got it all backwards. The brain is, it's the way I like to think about it is, if consciousness is the sun, then the brain and our thoughts and our feelings and emotions, they're like clouds that are actually blocking us from pure consciousness. And when people get in these altered states, whether it's psychedelics or near-death experience or other things, they're experiencing consciousness in a richer way. Oh, that makes, I've never thought about it that way. So even so the say, people that are having the NDEs and they're astral traveling, they come back or, or that oneness, even the, just the spiritual experiences that could come from normal means and people come back and say that was more real than, than real life. Like it felt more vivid and that makes sense. Cause your brain is kind of like that. It's filtering all that. 
so say a fellow is gonna fellow uh, say I know a guy who might be eating some mushrooms in the next couple of weeks here. <laughs> is there anything he might be able to try that he could try out for us and report back <laughs> and let us know, like something to test? Is there any way that we could test anything, any of your stuff? Is there if you had a test subject? It's a good My question. My friend I... is the test subject. <laughs> <laughs> not me well my understanding from this is that the intention that is set the mindset going into it is is important for the type of experience that you'll have so if the intent going in is to try to experience more of the sun so to speak more rays of the sun or if we use the the, the stream analogy it's like experiencing more of the stream rather than just your individual whirlpool maybe that's one way to do it the issue with a, a chemical substance is that you sort of lose control the chemicals are, are going to change the way your brain's functioning. And I wonder, I think more research is needed on how, whether or not we can control the experience. And if so, how? Oh yeah. Ground a chaperone. I'm not doing this. He's not chaperoning anymore. He's our variable. I get enough of that. Huh? Well, do you think it is the sun? Because I mean, we, I'm, I, you know, I really like the, the idea of the growing earth theory and it's got that whole pair production thing. And I wonder if the same process couldn't have something to do with consciousness. I mean, if you can create matter at a, at as energy, then you can probably, you know, the same thing could be what's generating consciousness. I think it needs to be explored. I'm, I'm, I'm way more open to stuff like that now than I used to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. So, I mean, I want to spend some time on the, the past life stuff, the kids past life stuff. Like, um, that stuff is always your kids, fun for me because I, I had, yeah, I had one of my daughters especially talked about, you know, past lives or she'd hint at past lives or talk about, and the interesting thing was her is it was always like the same sort of people centered around each other. So she'd be like, oh, when I was your dad or when I was your brother or whatever, you know? So, um, it was interesting and there's always so many of those stories. Did you have any, uh, what, what, what was it like? What was that chapter like? that research in that, because that's the kind of stuff that really blows my mind when you can actually <clears throat> prove or find some proof or evidence of, of, of this kid's story. That's, you know, it did, some of them are just mind blowing. Could you share some of that chapter with us and what it was like writing that? Yeah. Well, actually when I got into the research on past lives, it was probably one of the first things that I heard about was through podcasts. And it was typically when people were under hypnosis, and they would go, they would enter a past life in this altered state, and then they would kind of release a trauma. Uh, but then I looked into it even further and saw that there was more, more rigorous research done at the University of Virginia. So I mentioned this before, 50 plus years of research at UVA, their division of perceptual studies at their med school. So this is a very credible institution, which again, really shocks people when they first learn about it. And I think you're right, the most compelling cases are the ones where the children have distinct memories that can be verified or validated by historical or medical records. So there are a few cases that Dr. Jim Tucker, who's taken over for Dr. Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia, that he's been chronicling. Uh, one is, is a Hollywood extra, a little kid who, who basically thought he was in, in Hollywood and he identified himself in a book and it was an extra, it wasn't even a, a star. Um, and they ended up finding the person that he was, that this they ended up finding this person and the kids, the things that the kid was describing were aligned with uh, this person's life. And they actually went back to his house and he saw his daughter as a little kid and basically said the daughter had changed. 
because he was thinking of himself as the father, even though he was this little child. Wow, that's crazy. I remember yeah. the one about the, the airline. I think there was like a kid that was an airline pilot, and then when they looked, when they looked back, they found out all the information about the, the crash and the pilot and all that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was a World War II pilot. And yeah, the, yeah. the kid, his name was James. He would, he would take little uh, toy airplanes and smash them into the coffee table. <laughs> and Jim Tucker at UVA, he said he, when he went to the house, he saw the indentations on the table. And he, James would say, like, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. And they ended up finding the exact person that he was referring to. It was a single plane that crashed during World War II. Yeah, that's crazy. It almost proves reincarnation, eh? You know, some of that shit's just like, ah, I don't know. Uh, hmm. Well, and then you get I, into the whole, like, did we plan our, did we go up there and plan our, well, that our was next a, life out? And did we, you know, is that, is this life a, an agreement or? Yeah, that's what I was going to mention when I was talking about my daughter's experiences is that, you know, it was always the same sort of people in the group. So it's like, you know, you're a that group, you're, you're a soul group kind of going on the, you know, it's like you meet up with a bunch of people and go to the amusement park together, but you, instead you go on this crazy fucking ride called life for a couple of decades and maybe or a couple of generations or whatever the fuck, however it works, who knows. But, um, yeah, I always like that idea of the soul grouping and stuff like that. Cause I, you know, it seems like you would learn more that way. Maybe not. I could see an argument for both actually, but. Yeah, to me, there's a lot of strong evidence that reincarnation does exist. And there's also research at the University of Virginia where the children have birthmarks and physical deformities that match the way in which they describe dying. There's actually a physical transference of information or something like that. So I, I'm convinced at least, <clears throat> excuse me, that the evidence for reincarnation is strong. So if we accept that reincarnation is a real thing, then is it just a random process or is there a system behind it? Yeah. And I have a hard time thinking that it's just totally random if yeah. it exists at all. Now, yeah. what that system is, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I liked about it's, uh, uh, DOS based. <laughs> He's a Darren, Darren's <laughs> stuck on the digital simulation kind of thing and all that. And it's uh, that's an interesting way to go as well. I mean, we can almost get into some of that later on about, you know, you, you do have a chapter in there about the technological aspects of that with Kurzweil and these guys. But uh, before that, the other thing I liked about that is the amount of quotes you included from prominent scientists. I mean, when you start looking at all these quotes as well, it makes you wonder how we ever ended up in this materialistic paradigm. I mean, a lot of the top scientists in our past weren't really so rigid material, uh, materially. And, and now, you know, I mean, that gets into the whole, I, I'd like to ask you about the intention behind that and what you think is why, why we ended up here as well over the last couple hundred years. Well, it was really important for me to show those quotes, both for my own peace of mind to say that you're, I put the best stuff forward, but I think also for, for the readers, it's, it's important to see that much credibility from people like Max Planck and Erwin Schrodinger. These are big names. And, and even people like Brian Josephson, a Nobel Prize winner in physics, he's still living. He says he thinks that telepathy is real and that quantum physics will help us understand that it's real. And what's been very interesting to learn is that basically if the minute you start talking about these things, as a scientist, no matter who you are, even if you're a Nobel Prize winner in physics, there is a major taboo against this. Yeah. So Brian Josephson was uninvited from a scientific conference because yeah. they heard about his interest in the paranormal. Yeah. And they said something to the effect of, well, this is a scientific conference and it wouldn't be appropriate for someone with your interest to be here. 
So when I hear things like that, it actually makes sense to me that these ideas haven't been able to catch on because there's so much opposition to it. And I talk about what goes on on Wikipedia that really shocked me where apparently it's difficult where certain people take over Wikipedia pages and, and write things that are typically negative about these topics. And then it's difficult to edit. Yeah. So there seem to be forces at play here that are, that are making it more difficult for the ideas to gain traction. Yeah. Yeah. The guerrilla skeptics there that with, uh, with um, what's his name? Uh, the, the guy that was on Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah, Sheldrake he, exper- he experienced that with the guerrilla skeptics on Wikipedia. On morphic resonance and all that. Yeah. They, Cause there's a chapter on pet stuff. Yeah. I like that stuff. You know, I was actually, me and Lisa were just talking last night about, I forget which pet it was, but I think it was Bailey. Oh yeah. Cause Bailey always seems to know when, when, when you need a hug. And uh, I was like, and then I brought up Sheldrake's work and I was like, well, I think, you know, there's some science that shows that that dog, the dog knows when you leave work or stuff like that. Um, did you come across any of that in your studies? What, what was, uh, can you tell us some cool pet stuff? Yeah, that, that was interesting for me, and I included a chapter on it because it, I think many pet owners can relate to these ideas where they think their pet seems to know things. And Rupert Sheldrake has been the leader in this field, which I wish had more research behind it, but for, for many reasons we might be able to understand, there isn't a lot of funding going towards animal psychic abilities. I mean, there's not enough for, towards human psychic abilities, let alone animals. And so I give Dr. Sheldrake a lot of credit for, for really digging into this. The most compelling case to me is, is the research he did with. Pam and, and her dog, JT, where they, they videotaped the dog when Pam was taken far away from home in a cab at a random location. She wasn't even told when she was going home until the experimenter texted someone that she was with. Again, miles away, not in her own car. So he tried to get rid of the conventional explanations, which is, well, the dog must have just smelled it or the dog knows when she's coming home. Because yeah, every day at five o'clock or yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he controlled for all that. And he found in, in nearly 200 trials that there was a strong relationship between when the owner was deciding to come home and when the dog walks to the window. <laughs> so you can actually go to Sheldrake's website. He has a video demonstrating one of the trials. The owner, she's sitting far away. She hasn't even gotten in the cab yet. She's deciding she's walking to the cab and the dog starts walking to the window. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Cats too or just dogs? Do cats suck? Dogs better than cats or cats better than dogs? My, my cats are waiting for me on the stairs every time I come home. On the stairs? Yeah. yeah. They're, and, they're, you know, cats sleep like 18 hours a day or whatever, but they're waiting for me when I get home. Well, they can probably hear you clamoring up the stairs. (laughs) No, I think it applies to many different animals. Yeah. Yeah, Sheldrake's best tests have been on on dogs, to my understanding, but he's looked at others too. Yeah. So getting back to the the suppression aspect of it or or how we ended up in this this place, um, you mentioned some of those examples, guerrilla skeptics and... and, um, people not allowing to be at conferences. I mean, you also talk a a lot in the book about, you know, not even be able to get, so it's not only that, you know, oh, you don't have a peer-reviewed study. It's like you can't even get into a lot of these peer reviews. As soon as it's about the paranormal, sometimes they're not even looked at. And, And the one thing I did like about the quotes that you put in there as well is you put a lot of quotes in there that also show how silly the, the skeptical community is about, how they haven't even looked at the research. They won't look at it because it can't be true because we live in this paradigm that they, you know, they think it's all already settled. 
So, I mean, I like that aspect of it. And, but I also kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into like, you know, how did, how did we get there? How, how are these guys able to just keep controlling the narrative? It just drives me nuts. Hmm. Well, it's really similar to what happened with Galileo versus the church. He had all his evidence in the telescope, which suggested that the earth is not the center of the solar system. And there were clergymen that didn't want to look in the telescope. So we have a lot of examples of that where scientists say, well, of course I haven't looked at the evidence. Those things are impossible. Or, look, I only have a fixed amount of time, so I'm only going to focus my research on things that are likely to be real. So there's, this, there's that kind of force, but I think there's also there's a real incentive for established scientists to try to keep the paradigm because they don't want to be proven wrong. And I'm not sure this is true for everybody, but I've heard this from some of the scientists that I've spoken to. And I actually have my own podcast coming out later this year. Uh. I've interviewed nearly 50 people, many of the people that I mentioned in my book. And some of them have said to me that they hear from scientists who say, look, if, if what you're doing is real, then you basically invalidate my whole career. I'm paraphrasing there. So there are people with a real incentive. If you have an ego to, to be right, think about it. it would be, this is a, a very threatening point of view. And it's the prevailing point of view that's out there. It also implies that people would have to shift their worldview, which takes work. And I can say that from personal experience. It's not an easy thing to say, wait a second, everything that you thought was real in your life, it's only partially true. Yeah. <laughs> so that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you think that it's, it's, um, is it just a case that it's business and cause it's funding studies as well, right? I mean, they, they got to keep getting funding and a lot of times they're not going to get funded for, you know, this type of stuff. So do you think it's just mainly a case or is there a more nefarious uh, intention going on for people? Because there is a reason why you would want to keep the keep us and keep the culture in this materialistic paradigm. I mean, if you know, you get into that with, about the, you know, the implications at the end of your book there, but do you think it's just basically business and people trying to hold on to their, their paradigm to be right? Or is there deeper than that? I've heard different theories about more nefarious ideas. I really don't know enough. Yeah. I really don't. There are lots of theories out there, but even if we exclude those, there, there, I think there are forces that just make sense as to why these ideas wouldn't get out there. But at the same time, what this whole idea implies is that each of us is much more powerful than we've been taught. And that exactly. certainly is threatening to much, to much bigger forces. So I don't know. Exactly. That's kind of what I mean. Like there's more meaning to life. There's more meaning to our, our intention, what we focus on, all that stuff, right? Like Darren was saying about, uh, you know, all the manifesting and magic and all, all that stuff just as, is more, uh, more realistic if you look at it this way. Yeah. And it, and it puts a different spin on how we might live day-to-day -day life. And I'll, I'll give an example from the near-death experience, the phenomenon known as the life review, where a person, again, this is when they're in some kind of physiological trauma, like cardiac arrest, they're clinically dead, and yet they have these lucid memories. And for a lot of reasons that I just stated in my book, I don't think these are hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So the life review is occurring during this time where we don't think the brain should be functional, and it's often not functional. So we might interpret this as something that's actually real and not a hallucination. And if we accept that, then the life review is, is really critical. And this is an experience where the person goes through their whole life in a flash. They're observing how they acted towards other people. Sometimes they take on the perspectives of the people that they affected. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. I recently spoke with Danian Brinkley, who's had four near-death experiences. <laughs> he just had his fourth recently. 
I remember reading about his prior three, and he just had his fourth during open heart surgery. <laughs> He's had a life review each time. And he was a Marine in Vietnam where he killed a lot of people, and he said he was, he was pretty cruel. So during his life review, he experiences the deaths of the people that he killed from their perspectives. But wow. he also experiences the pain of the people that knew those people that he killed. Oh, wow. So it's a, that's a very profound idea, if that's really what happens. And when you talk to people who study near-death experiences, they all say something similar, which is the life review is something that we all have. Yeah. And that starts to get to, to meaning in life, that these people come back saying it's not about material goods. It's literally just about how we're treating each other, yeah. and we're put in different situations to see how we do. Yeah, it comes back to the relationships and unconditional love and all that stuff. And I mean, it makes me wonder if that's what the Christian version of hell was. I mean, if people are having near-death experiences all along and they come back and say, I, you know, I died, but I came back and I saw hell. Like my life was, you know, my life review equals maybe hell. Yeah. It, it raises a lot of questions. And then aside from those, those uh, experiences with the life review is like other more negative realms that people experience. It's a minority of near-death experiences, but they're, they're reported as being very scary and terrifying. So when I hear that, and I've heard of you know, different conceptions of hell, I, it makes me wonder if yeah. there's something going on. Maybe it's a state of consciousness. It's another dimension. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, uh, I like Superman's quote that your biggest fear in life shouldn't be failure. It should be succeeding at things that don't matter. <laughs> a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, I, I'm more and more I'm thinking that it's all about uh, relationships and being kind to each other and being kind to people and, and communicating properly and service being of service. Yeah. 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 And if you do all those things, I mean, that's when everything else seems to start to work out, I think too. Right. I mean, in most cases, I mean, I think you get some cases where maybe it doesn't, but I'd like to think those are rare. Yeah. I mean, what, what people typically talk about from the life review is, is not only relationships that are important, but the intent behind the actions, typically as they relate to relationships. But it's, it's the intent that goes into things. So talking to Daniel Brinkley was really interesting because for him, the life review started at the beginning during each near-death experience. So he had to relive things four times, but because he was older, he got to relive new experiences that he hadn't in the prior, in the prior life reviews. So I asked him if things have improved, and they have. I mean, he, he now volunteers in hospices. His life has changed dramatically, and he experiences also the joy of, that he brings to others when he's in the life review state. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, yeah, what the, what the Buddhists say, too, about that. <laughs> about, don't be evil. Yeah, being of that's service and all that. Says, and, but I don't believe them. So what about this, what about the Kurzweil and these guys and the singularity and the people that are more like, you know, the, the technology is going to assist in our evolution or our spiritual experience. And like, are they, are they going along the same lines as the materialist? Do they not realize that yet that consciousness is outside or are they using that to, to further the technology? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when I hear about AI, it's, it's typically, I think there's typically a materialist assumption that, in, yeah. that underlies what people are talking about. Because they say, there's this idea that we can make a computer complex enough to the point that consciousness suddenly emerges. Yeah. And a great example of that is the show Westworld. 
yeah. where the machines reach a certain level of complexity and all of a sudden they have memories and then they start taking over and it's this like apocalyptic scenario. That assumes that consciousness can be produced by this machine. Yeah. That's the way I interpret it. So, the, so I think AI definitely could be dangerous, but to me, it's more about the way we program the machines. It's about the consciousness of the programmer. And, and that's actually something that uh, Federico Fagin, who's one of the original inventors of the microprocessor, he is saying this idea that consciousness is, is primary and that we need to rethink AI debates. And it's not as much about the AI itself. It's more about how we program the AI. What I've heard, that's what that, uh, yeah. Was he the guy, was that the same guy that was on Rogan recently? I'm not sure. Is that's, he's in, his whole program is the open source one. And that was an interesting take on AI that I, you know, cause AI is always doom and gloom, but his take was interesting. You know, I still, it's still a fucking coin toss. That's the thing is it still seems like it could be a coin toss, but I mean, I got a lot of pop culture influence, so. Well, I don't understand what it mean. What do you mean by open source? Like open source. Well, like he's saying like they're they're opening up and it's like once they get everything they do is the codes all readily available. Oh, I see. They're saying they don't want it to be a military power. They want it when it happens, it's just going to be uploaded to the cloud and let it fucking do as it may on its own accord. Like just, I don't know. I'm not a computer engineer, so I don't really understand how AI works, but I guess you could just like write the code for it on, on my computer. I write the AI code. I hit send, boom, it's on Twitter, everywhere. Is that how it works? I don't know. I might just be talking crazy nonsense. <laughs> I, always picture I, it, I always picture it as, uh, go ahead and then I'll, I'll say what I was going to say. Yeah, to me, the, what needs to enter the debate, I think, is the question of consciousness. Can we create consciousness from a machine? That question is often not even asked. Right. Well, well what if it's creating the machine that then can transceive or receive consciousness. Like, I think we talked a couple of years ago with somebody about that. And it was like, if, the, if you develop, like, let's just say a fake brain or, or a complex enough organism, or maybe it's a simple enough organism that'll just, and it could be machine, a machine, that, it's, that something can enter into it. Consciousness can enter into it from, from our, a, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a good point. I mean, we are all conscious as, as beings. So that means our body is doing something to process consciousness. The question is, how is it doing that? And is it something that we can replicate yeah. outside of ourselves? Yeah. So that is really the question. Can we recreate however our body and brain are receiving consciousness yeah, in something yeah. else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it's like, can you put your consciousness somewhere else? <laughs> you know, that's interesting. I remember that conversation actually where, this, where we were talking where they could find that maybe my iPhone is conscious and I don't even know it. <laughs> But, you know, they eventually just, they, you know, you get the right mix of circuits and gears in the back. Maybe it's in, like, I like, it's in the basement of the parkade where they have, like, the electronics recycling bin and everything gets in there in just the right order and maybe it gets struck by lightning and boom, <laughs> consciousness. I mean, is that any crazier than how it happens now? Not really. Right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, there's... There's something that, that people talk about, the, the idea of panpsychism, that, that matter is conscious. That's typically how it's construed, that, yeah. that consciousness is just a property oh, of matter. that's why it's a pansexual. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, I mean, I, that's the same. That's like an extension of the masculine feminine. I, I can't remember which one. Is it Buddhism or which one is it that says uh, not just, I mean, obviously all people have masculine and feminine in them. Um <clears throat> 
it's just which is dominant and it happens to be that it's usually dominant more in men and women vice versa anyway but i forget which one is it graham or or um i don't know i don't think you're on the right track with that that I think panpsychism is something no, else. No, past that. We're, oh. we're, we're past the pan thing. Well, no, panpsychism where everything has a consciousness. Yeah. So is that the same thing? Is is that an extension of every every? Because we're which there's some sort of religion that has every object. It has a masculine and feminine aspect to it. I don't. So the way I the way I look at panpsychism is that it's it's still a form of materialism, because it's saying that matter has consciousness. The consciousness comes from matter. Right, so the distinction right. that I would draw based on what I've seen is that still consciousness is primary and it's experiencing itself through the material world, through different forms of matter. Consciousness is expressing itself. Yeah. 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 I, I, I prefer that than the, than the other way around. Yeah. I, I see what you mean. That doesn't fit within your, the upside down view of it. <laughs> right. That would, that would explain why the matter is really like nothing. Like this table is just nothing. It's mostly nothing, yeah. but it looks like a table. But if my consciousness is making the whole thing up anyway, then he's like, it's a table, motherfucker. Take it or leave it. I don't care what your microscope says. It's a table. <laughs> That's a great point. The idea that the physical world isn't as solid as we think it is. Like you said, matter is mostly empty space. Each atom is 99.99999% empty. We know that from science. We know from the double slit experiment in quantum physics that when you're not observing, the particle behaves like a wave, meaning it doesn't even have a, a definite location. So what we call matter isn't even solid unless we're looking at it. And when we are looking at it, it's mostly empty space. And we're saying that that matter, that we don't even really know what it is. There's a great quote from a physicist. He says, matter is not made of matter. So the materialist perspective is this mysterious matter stuff. We don't know what it is. And that is creating the consciousness that we have. Yeah. The one thing that we know is created by this unknown quantity. Yeah, I still can't wrap my head around that. How this must be, this table must be vibration then, right? Little, it's a field. little atoms. It's in, a field. In a, in a and mag, this field a... can't go through that field. Yeah. It's a farce. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interpretation. Yeah. We interpret it as solid table, solid chair. And that's just how our brain labels things based on the sensations and the way we perceive it. I wonder what the world really looks like. Like, I wonder if, there, I wonder if there's going to be an app one day where instead of looking for Pokemon, <laughs> I just take my phone and I'm bloop. And it's like what the world really looks like. And it's like, you know, who knows? You can change the setting. So it's what you how your cat sees the world or. You know how you notice is like, like when I take a picture on my computer and I look at it and it's all wonky. And it's probably like that all the time because when I eat a bunch of mushrooms, allegedly, my computer looks like that all the time. Yeah. I can't type. I can't read things because something's missing or something's extra or however that's working. I can't read my computer or my phone or anything. Like I, I can read a text message, but it takes all of my concentration to focus in on it. And it's kind of the same idea when you take a picture of a computer screen and send it to someone. You know, it's got that weird sort of effect on it. Well, on the, on the topic of seeing and not being able to see well, in my book, I talk about near-death experiences where there are people who have been blind since birth or are colorblind or have just a visual difficulty. They go into the near-death experience state and suddenly they can see perfectly. And then they come back in the body and they go back to having the impairment. So it's, again, like the body's actually limiting our perception. Yeah. Our biological system is a limiter. Yeah, what was I, uh, 
again, I was listening to someone on Rogan the other day that was talking about the cure for blindness. In 2020, they're doing the first safety studies on curing blindness. I would, I'd be interested in knowing what exactly the science behind that is. What are they doing? Are they, you know, maybe it's as easy as shutting something off. I don't know. Or on, would it be off or on? Well, in the near-death experience, the the body's basically off and yet the vision seems to be perfect. So I don't know. Hmm. And then yet in, in lucid dreaming, it's the, like, it's similar to you on, on mushrooms or somebody on mushrooms is, uh, you can't read very well. You know, like you're, when you're, if you're lucid or you're dreaming, like you, you can read. Are you speaking from experience or? Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's, <laughs> so let's get into the, uh, the implications. Like the last part of your book is, you know, talks a lot about all the different implications and you answer a bunch of uh, questions in there and. You want to get into that that part of it? I mean, I think that's pretty important. Um, Is it any more hackable this way? How can I cheat? How can I game the system? Just more well, love? Think about more love? Things, love more? I think that's that seems to be an important theme, but from maybe a more practical standpoint of, of doing day-to-day activities and enhancing intuition, I think looking at the U.S. government's program on with remote viewers where people could see things that were far away without seeing it with their eyes. So sort of like accessing a distant part of the stream with your mind. What Russell Targ advised his uh, subjects to do was to quiet their monkey mind, essentially go into a meditative trance-like state and allow information to come in. So it gets back to this idea of the sun and clouds. We can enhance our intuition and these abilities for day-to-day activities, seemingly by entering these meditative states where we quiet the mind. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I'm not good at that. No, I'm not good Actually, at that. Actually, I did my first either. like little meditation yesterday. I think I did okay. That's good. But it has to be guided one. Yeah, it's like can. making that weird noise like, wow, wow. I did okay. I think I lasted 10 minutes. I didn't fall asleep. That's good. Good Do start. you meditate, Mark? Do you have any practices like that? or? I tr- I do. I'm also not the best meditator. I think flotation tanks, sensory deprivation tanks, those are great yeah. because you have no light, no sound. Even if you're sitting there thinking, at least your brain is getting to rest. And I find that when I float, I do get some good creative insights or I'll just get clarity on things that I wasn't sure of. Yeah. 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 Quiet down all that other sensory noise. Yeah, I agree. So what? I haven't what a, floated in a while, actually. Yeah, you should try again. It's been a while. He just plays around in the float tank. Sometimes. Kind of it's always fun, though. What about implications for our culture that, that if we all like, because if another, if we keep going like this, I mean, really, we are winning the battle against materialism, I think. I mean, I think they're, they're grasping on. And I mean, these into it in, in uh, institutions, academia, they're, they're holding on pretty strong, I think. And, but I mean, I, I believe that the skeptical community doesn't really have as much of a leg to stand on anymore. And I do think things are opening up because we have these conversations now people can share the stories. So what's it going to be like when the culture in another five or 10 years, this wouldn't, like you said, it, it, sh- it shifts over to the other side and, and this becomes our reality. It's really a shift in identity. The materialist perspective is that our identity is our body and the consciousness we have comes from our body, specifically our brain. Whereas this other paradigm is that our identity is our consciousness and we're experiencing the physical world through a body. And that even more than that, we're, we're connected. We're interconnected. Yeah, we're entangled, thing, yeah. to use the quantum physics yeah, term. We're all, we're all one kind of thing, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. We're all part of the same stream, even though we might have different whirlpools, we're connected as part of the same stream. So the implications here are that we are not finite beings. In other words, this life isn't it. And we're not separate. Whereas most of, I think, mainstream society today is based on this assumption that we are finite and separate beings. And that, to me, creates incentives that are much more individualistic and in, in many ways selfish. And it's actually rational if you think that we're finite and separate beings. But if we're not, if we're not finite and if we're interconnected, then the treatment of others, like we talked about, that becomes really paramount. So things like altruism, where you want to help somebody else, that actually becomes like a form of selfishness because you're helping yourself if we're just the same one mind, as Schrodinger said. So to me, when we look at the world's problems, whether it's political or violence or anything, those problems stem from a metaphysical belief in materialism that we're finite and separate. Mm -hmm. And if we shifted that belief system, I think many of the problems we, we see would start to shift. So to me, it's about getting to the core cause of the problem rather than fixing individual symptoms of political leaders or individuals who are violent. Those to me are just symptoms. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. If we all realized we were connected, that would make a big, big difference in how we treat, e treat each other, you know? Yeah. Huh. It's what people say after the life review. And what they tell me is, look, you don't have to have a, a near-death experience to go through this. You can learn from what we've been through, that all that matters is about how we're treating each other in life. So for those people, it's just so real that they don't even deny it. But for the rest of us who haven't had that experience, it can be difficult to relate. Yeah. So you think we'll get there in five or 10 years? Or what, what, what do you think about the time frame of that? It, it really depends on who you ask. So I, I, um, it, yeah, totally. I'm going through some of my interviews for my podcast, and, and one of the guys I interviewed, um, who's been doing this for a long time, Dr. Jeff Mishlove, I asked him about that. And he's, he's seen this for decades. Yeah, and he's seen yeah. the difficulty of how, how difficult it is to gain traction. So I think he's a bit more pessimistic. Yeah. He said closer to 200 years before this is mainstream. Wow. Well, I'll be dead by then. Wow. That's, that's crazy. I, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't think that at all. But, I mean, yeah, it could he, be, but I mean, the dominoes have been seen to be lining up. Sometimes it seems like it happens quicker. If one starts falling, then they, they could all go a little quicker, yeah. but maybe not. Well, I hope so. I wonder so. if they were saying that, like, I could picture them saying that in, like, 1,200. We got these motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminds me of the whole UFO field, too. I mean, the people have been pushing for Everything disclosure does. for, like, 60 years, and everybody's like, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, and then, you know, decades go by, and it doesn't seem like much changes. But it, that, as well as a lot of the other stuff we talk about on the show, does seem to be changing and does seem to be opening up. I mean, the government's admitting, like, these programs, like you're talking about, are you know, well-known people know about Stargate and the remote viewing and, and studying the UFOs, even all that stuff seems to be seeping into our consciousness. I mean, we can talk about this like way easier than we did five years ago. So well, I, I think the fact that I could even write this book that someone like me, who just works in business was able to write a book with 700 some citations. Yeah. That says that there's a ton of evidence coming out from credible places. And there was also an article that I mentioned in the book that came out in 2018 published by the American Psychologist, which is the official peer-reviewed journal of the American Psychological Association that does a meta-analysis of many of the psychic phenomena and shows a, a real statistical effect. Yeah. The journal approved that article. After all these decades of controversy, they still approved it yeah. in this mainstream journal. So that, to me, is a really big shift. Yeah. 
So what are some of the other guys you've, uh, or scientists uh, that you've uh, interviewed on your podcast and what, what's your plan with that? Well, the plan is, is hopefully to release it later this spring. And the format will be twofold. One is just the raw interviews, sort of like what we're doing right now. Uh-huh. And the other will be a little more creative where I'll, it's a conversation between me and my producer. And my producer works more in the sports area of media. So he's kind of playing the layperson that's just being introduced to this. And we take clips from my various interviews. So the, an entire episode might be focused on near-death experiences, and yeah. it's me and my producer speaking. But we'll use clips from people like Dr. Eben Alexander or Raymond Moody yeah. or other people that have had these experiences. So it's each episode centered on a topic, and we take multiple sources that we incorporate. Okay, nice, nice. I'm the lay guy around here. <laughs> so... Uh... So would that be, would that whole, like, let's say you in, interviewed, uh, like, Mishlove, and would, would, would you do something with that whole interview then, or would you just take p- bits and pieces of it and put it into your, your show with your producer? Like, would it be It'll two be separate things? So the yeah. full-length interview will be available. Yeah, that's but awesome. That's the, yeah. yeah, but yeah. The, for the show, the, the shorter show, where it's just me and my producer, yeah. we might take a few clips. That's great. So you've launched, or you've recorded a lot of these, and you'll launch in a couple months, or? I've recorded about 50 wow, and we'll hopefully launch in the next few months. That's so great. I just, like I mentioned, Daniel Brinkley was a great interview I did yeah. recently. I also interviewed Russell Targ, oh, who was one of the laser physicists that ran yeah. the Stargate program. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Did you, um, when, what's it called? What's it going to be called? TBD. We, we have not figured it out yet. We haven't finalized oh, the name. Okay. TBD. Okay. Um, <laughs> TBD yeah, you're going to, yeah, for sure. You'll have to uh, touch base with us, and when it does come out, we'll... No, if you need we'll, any help we'll or anything like it, that yeah. along the way. We don't know much. We still fuck it up five years <laughs> later, but we try. We're always trying new yeah. things. We can tell you what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Don't do value do for... Job. Don't do value for value. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It's great. So any other interviews stick out? I mean, Targ, Targ would be great to talk to. Yo, Jim Tucker, I was gonna, I'm going to email you later and see if you can put us in contact. Yeah, I interviewed Jim Tucker, and he's you know, he's got great stories. Yeah. Children who have past life memories, but it's just interesting talking to people that do this for a living, where they've spent their whole career studying these exactly, effects. Exactly, exactly. To them, it's not even a question. Yeah. In most cases, like yeah. of course this is real. I mean, if you're Russell Targan, you've seen people remote view everywhere, where you're just given a longitude and latitude, and the person's going into a trance and drawing it out repeatedly. It's not a question about whether these things are real. Exactly. And it's so interesting to hear that versus some of the skeptics or some of the mainstream scientists who say things like there is no evidence for ESP and it's not even a controversy. Yeah. I quote that in my book. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, one of our favorite ones was the lucid dreaming. We, we interviewed a lucid dreaming researcher and same thing, decades of research. And when you hear the stuff that he's studied with people in their dreams and the, the precog from dreams or the healing from dreams, I mean, it's, it's mind blowing when they, when you get into all the details. It's mind-blowing, and it's just not being studied enough by the mainstream. And so going back to Jim Tucker and children who have past life memories, that's important, I think, for medicine, too. Because if some of these children have birthmarks and physical deformities that are aligned with this alleged previous life, if that's a real thing, then it implies that there's something medicine's totally missing. Because medicine says that there are two factors that affect our physical form. One is genetics, and number two is our environment. There's nothing else. Here, there's a, something else that, that the researchers are calling a third factor that affects our health. Yeah. Think about what a big deal that is if we're missing an entire factor. Yeah. Even phobias. I mean, even for psychology. 
and phobias. I mean, the the past life healing and the regressions. Um, there's a couple different people that have their own protocols and all that, and sometimes it might be a three or four hour session. But just the the uh, act of acknowledging you've had a past life and what happened brings this healing for people. It's unbelievable. I remember my the early days of my research. I heard a woman named Myra Kelly on Laura Powers's Healing Powers podcast. And she was a corporate attorney, I think, had a very conventional job. She got really bad TMJ, horrible jaw pain, and she was going to have to be operated on by Columbia Med School or Dental School. They couldn't figure out what was going on. She didn't want to have surgery, so she decided to try past life regression. And I think the first time she did it, nothing happened. But the second time, she had a flashback to being a slave in the South, wearing a chain on her neck, and it was rubbing up against her jaw in the same place where she currently had the TMJ issues. And after that hypnosis session where she had that memory, it like cleared the pain and it went away. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. It's somehow the act of just recognizing that is the healing. That's all you need. It's not like you have to do a bunch of work after that. Sometimes it just happens. Acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. We should do it. I had a bit of a past life and I was like, a, I think like a Templar or a knight or something. And the year like 1110. And I think... I, I had a like a sense that it was like my, my that was my shield arm and that's why I had this chronic elbow injury like I broke it when I was five and it's just like just been bugging me through my life. Now uh, it's better. Yeah, I, no, it's not better. Right. No, it didn't. It never really healed. <laughs> that's the problem. I never really thought about that. Tough one. Yeah, I thought it's supposed to heal when you do that. I know that's yeah. Well, because because I broke it, it's physically like it's physically stuck. Right, it's not gonna ever heal. There is no physically stuck. Yeah. There is no physical. <laughs> so is there anything else you think you want to cover out of your book or out of uh, what we're talking about? Back to remote viewing. I was really shocked to find out that the CIA declassified certain documents. So I think your listeners might find that interesting if they weren't aware. I was able to include them in my book. And one of the documents says very explicitly, remote viewing is a real phenomenon implications are revolutionary. And then they show the science panel that looked at it. And the science panel concluded that the evidence is too impressive to dismiss as mere coincidence. So I'm going to be really curious to see what a skeptical reaction to all of these things is. Like, I don't know what the counter is beyond just saying like, oh, it's, it's fraudulent, but without evidence to, to support the idea that it's fraudulent, I'm not sure how someone can make that claim. How's your remote viewing? Not good. No. Mine either. <laughs> Mine's not good either. But we have friends of ours that do a podcast, Cat in the Box. Cat in the Box. Justin and Adam, and they've been doing remote viewing every week. This is what they do. They've been doing this remote viewing thing, and they're getting some crazy hits. I mean, I've even taken a little, like, crash course in it as well in Calgary a here. crash and course? Just, How much did you pay for that? I, I don't know. It was like 50 bucks or something, maybe. It was one of our guests That's there. We've had, we had them on. Like, but it's just, I you can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. crash courses. <laughs> And the CSET. We should have Great America SETI school. Yeah, can't do it. So the other thing I want to mention about your book, too, is you got a lot of praise and a lot of people writing about how, how good it is. I mean, that, uh, that's some good feedback you get there from people. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I think it helps for me as, as someone who's in the business world. I'm not a scientist, but a lot of the scientists who have been in this field, like Evan Alexander and Dean Radin and Rupert Sheldrake, people like that, so they're behind the book. Yeah. which I think hopefully will help get the message out. And that's really what I'm trying to do is to get the book in as many hands as possible so that people can start opening up if they're willing to. Like, I think it can have a very positive 
impact on people's lives. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say at the beginning, even that this book is the book that you give your family members or your close friends or these people that, you know, that are skeptical of all this. And this gives, it's like a, it's like a little, uh, manual here rundown of, of, you know, of why we need to get away from materialism. So yeah, it's great. A great resource for people to give to their friends and family. But I want to keep my iPhone. No materialism, still get the iPhone. Still get the podcast. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I got to thank you for that because it's like, you know, people give you, if, if, it's interesting if people give you flack for being, you know, just a businessman or not being a scientist because the problem is that the people that are the scientists doing the work are most of the time too busy to write up the book, especially the overarching book that brings it together because their books are fucking hard to understand and you need to be a scientist to understand it. So you need the you know, the podcaster or the author or the documentary filmmaker, whoever it is to sort of tell that story, because otherwise, you know, within today's specialized culture, without people like you sort of sewing the quilt together, it's just a, we're all just looking off in different directions. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I had some advantages as not, be, not being a scientist. Number one, I don't have an academic career to protect. So I could write things and include quotes that I had, I had no qualms about because I'm just objectively showing what I found. And also, I was able to write the book in what I think is a simpler form than maybe a scientific, a typical scientific book. And I could use simpler language and not feel badly about it because I'm not like defending a PhD or anything. Yeah. So I had those advantages and really wanted to, to make it accessible to a general audience. How, how's it gone over so far? And then how about the people in your personal life that have seen you take this journey? Because it hasn't been very long. It's been two or three years since you started the whole process. So you, you hammered down pretty quick. What do they think? Yeah, it's only been two and a half years since I first started it. I think people have seen a, a shift in how I, I look at things and think about things, but it's still the same person. And that's something to emphasize to your listeners is that it's like you just kind of, there's a saying, I can't remember where it's from, might be in Buddhism, where at first there are mountains and rivers everywhere. And then when you learn about this real reality, they all disappear and there's nothing. And then the mountains and the rivers come back, but you're just seeing them with a different lens. Mm. And that's kind of what happened with me. When I first started with the research, it was so shocking and disorienting. I didn't even know who to talk to about it. Like I thought I was crazy and wait a second, do, are there any other people that actually know about this stuff? And then I realized that there were people and started to open up about it and it's become easier just to speak about these things. So I think people definitely see a shift in how I approach life, but it's still ultimately just the same person. Yeah. You realize there's a whole world of people talking about this stuff now. It's great. Oh, yeah. This is a whole world of crazies. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice down here. It's comfy. It's warm. The weather's great. Everyone's kind to each other most of the time, unless you start talking about politics and fucking look out. Other than that, it's a pretty nice place to be. Yeah. That's what I found. People have been very supportive who have been, uh, I guess, people that are that are open to these ideas or just open in general have been very supportive. And the book only came out in October. So it's, it's still pretty new. I think it'll be interesting to see what some of the skeptical reactions are, if they'll read it. That's yeah. my big question is if they'll actually read the evidence. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're hoping that uh, all our listeners will read the book, yeah. recommend it to their friends. Where can our listeners track you down if they want more Mark Gober? My website, which is my name, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R, markgober.com. That has more information on me and the book, and we'll also be announcing the podcast there, um, also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. As soon as we have more info on the, the name of the podcast and, and when we'll be launching it, we will let everybody know. Awesome. 
Excellent. Right Excellent. I can't wait for the show. Like I say, if you need any, uh, if you need any help with anything, let us know. And uh, we'd Thank be happy guys. to help. We're eager to hear it, eager yeah. to hear some raw conversation there. Yeah. And the other, the other concept sounds, sounds great as well. And uh, yeah, anything else? That's about it, yeah. Thanks for coming on, Mark. Well, thank you guys for having me yeah. and for all the work that you do. Yeah, thanks for your book. Really appreciate it. All righty. Okay, buddy. Hardcover, too. Take I care. Like Take it. Care. Thanks for the hardcover. Right. Of course. Have a nice night, sir. You too. And that was our chat with Mark Gober. What'd you think, buddy? I think I need a fucking mouse. I think I need a mouse. Yeah, it was good, eh? Yeah, yes. he's. Yeah, it was. Is like I'm. Ta- I'm not. I'm not being yeah. silly. I'm being serious when I say this is the book you hand to people that are really not sure about materialism or they don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I believe you. Yeah. I believe you. I'm actually going to check because uh, it's a good read. You know what's funny is like I just actually figured out who we were having on the show like uh, a few minutes. Well, not a few minutes, probably around this afternoon. I had a different guy. It was. Uh, oh, boy. Here we go again. It was a fr- it was a forensic geologist. Oh, huh? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and then I was like. And then I double checked. One of the yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing somebody's paying attention. I was like, "Oh, I had all this geology stuff lined up," and then right at like three in the afternoon, I was like, "Holy shit, I got this totally backwards." Yeah. So, but yeah, great chat, wonderful. Yeah. It reminds me of the books. So just to put it in comparison, you remember Fringeology when it came out? Do you remember that one? That was we got that got on that. the shelf. Possibility in his genome. I don't know if we have it on the shelf anymore. We might. And then, like Alex Sakaris's book, science—you know—science was uh, science is wrong about everything. And uh, there's a bunch of books that that are like this, right? This is a, a good, a thick, comprehensive resource. Failed was feeling down today, so I promised him I'd, if he showed up to the live stream, I'd uh... flash a nipple. Yeah. Or was it your tattoo that you're flashing? Your sigil. Is that your... Is it a sigil? It's a good yeah. sigil. Family sigil. Can that still get you in trouble? No. The sigils don't always get you in trouble. Sometimes they're really helpful. Really? Sure. That's good to know. So, yeah, that was great. Big thanks to Mark for coming on the show. Thanks for the hard copy book. You don't get a lot of hard copies these days. Always like a hard copy book. We can even keep this for quotes because there's a million awesome quotes from scientists in here. But you know what the best part is? There's no jacket. I, oh, I took it off. I oh, have the jacket. I hate jackets. I, I take them off. I hate, but sometimes you take the jacket off and there's nothing on the cover. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Then you're, then you're really in trouble. Anyhow. So, well, that's it. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. good chat. Big thanks to Mark for coming on the show. Buy his book. Check out his website. All that fun stuff. While you're there playing around on the internet, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly on PayPal. If you hate PayPal, we're on Patreon, grandamerica.ca slash Patreon. Also on Stripe, grandamerica.ca slash Stripe. So you have three different ways to support the show. Um, 
you know, you can hide twenty dollar bills inside a book and send that to the studio, like some oh, some yeah, people yeah. do. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. We should we should, but do, that's what we'll do when everything. But shut what if down. there's a bunch in there we haven't even looked? And we've got to look at this. Like you, probably well, most should, of those come from the publicist. But now we're like gonna have to start note, checking gotta, all the books. Yeah, we gotta check because there's gotta be a, like maybe like a little cipher or a note, some sort of symbol that says like flick through the pages because that would be a good way to donate to the show. Absolutely. Get a favorite book in the mail. That's what we'll do when they shut everything else the fuck down. Yeah. Send the cash hidden in books. Anyway, Grand Record, you got to support the show because most people don't. So you can be part of a very exclusive club of supporters. (laughs) I think we're about uh, 800 names into the wall. Nice. Now, half of... I thought it was like 340 or 350. Well, that's monthly supporters. Oh, okay. Right. So that plus Patreon for the straight, you know, that's, but for the wall, I'm doing the one time. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. So we're at like 800. Yeah. Um, so there's about 311 names left for the wall of fame. And you just support the show because not because of the wall, just because you like the show, just support the show so that we can still have the show and not get kicked out in the street. We made rent two months in a row. Woo-hoo. Let's go for number three. We have some other surprise expenses that have come up. So, yeah, listen to the intro for all the other stuff like contact at the cabin and. Reviewing the show and all that good stuff. That's right. Most of all, have a good weekend. Sure. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. It was a plain old day. It, it was a plain old day. Just sipping on my lemonade. And also chilling, chilling in the shade. Waiting for that day that I get paid. On the rock and roll jukebox. The rock and rock and roll jukebox. That's me on the rock and roll jukebox But maybe I should Take my dreams out to the curb Next to the track No Shadamas You fit right in there with the prophecies And no Shadamas Lottery ticket, the, the, the lottery ticket Lottery ticket, the lottery ticket You feel me? Can you feel this? Can you feel this? Broken heart Broken heart you used too many plastic bags. Second verse, there's some more important matters at hand. Like earlier in the first verse when I said I was chilling in the shade, sipping on my lemonade. That was a flat out lie. Actually, the time being, it's the dead of winter. I saw the greatest minds of my time black out in the media fog. Broken heart You use too many plastic bags You use too many plastic bags You use too many plastic bags Please don't tell me That our future is as bleak as it's seeming All you beautiful minds out there Keep on dreaming with meaning Can you heal this? Broken heart, broken heart, broken heart, broken heart, broken heart. You
they like coast to coast. But on demand, raw and uncut interviews, and all without no ads. One says false and one says true, and the Rachel Sink grows too. America, America is here for you. Stories from the listeners, they sent to Graham. He'll read the man, be amazed, but Darren may say no. One says red and one says blue, but if it's false, it just won't do. America, America is here for you.